Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. How many of you would agree with the statement when you look at the world around us and you would say, we got issues? Yeah, we got issues with politics, we got issues with identity, we've got issues with abuse, we've got issues with addiction, we've got issues on top of issues on top of issues. Now, how many of you would look at somebody in your life and go, no, they got issues? They got issues in the way they drive or don't know how to drive. They got issues with this struggle or that struggle. And if you're married to them, do not nudge anybody right now. Like, that's a bad plan. Don't start staring at a kid. It's not going to go good for you. But we know people, you know, we go, in our world, we got issues. And it's real easy to identify they got issues. But you can tell you, what is a very freeing day is the day that you can sit back and say, I got issues. I've got struggles. And that's what the Breakthrough Series is all about. And today we're going to talk about one that I can relate to a whole lot, and I think a lot of people can. I crave approval. It's the idea of when will they notice me? Will they like me? Will they include me? Will they think that I'm good at something? And can we be honest? If you're a person that struggles with this, it is exhausting to live that way. It'll be no surprise to most of you that when I was in kindergarten, I was somewhat of a ladies' man. That was not a joke, okay. No, I remember one time I was in the, the morning hot breakfast line. I was trying to get my French toast sticks, um, and there were these two girls, the most popular girls in our class, and they came up, and they were like, hey, uh, there's a boy in our class that we like, and I was like, oh, internally, I'm like, I hope it's me, but then I started naming every other boy in the class just to see if it was them, and for every single no that they said, I was like, it's going to be me, it's going to be me, it's going to and then at the end, it was me. I was so excited, not because as a kindergartner, I was about to take anybody on a date, but because even at that young age, I craved approval. I went on through elementary school and then into middle school. In the middle school, I found out I was good at a couple of things. I was good at some sports, and I was real good at singing and acting. I got into theater and all that stuff, but I had something that was working against me, and that is I had horrible acne. I had, we just, back then, we just said zits. Like, we just had zits. How many of you, no, don't raise your hand, but if you know the struggle, you were that kid that was all pizza-faced in middle school, and your mom was always trying to get your pores cleaned out, and it was like sitting through torture. Like, that was a thing in my life. And so I was struggling. Even though I was good at some things, I was still craving approval. And then I moved into high school, and everybody in my high school had certain things, but I didn't have it. I didn't have no Jabot jeans. If you laughed just now, you just revealed your age. Okay, I didn't have my Z Cavaricis like everybody else. There we go. She's about to give a testimony on the front row. It's about to be awesome. Um, I didn't have any guest stuff. I had jokes. That's what I had. And so I was the one that all the people were like, well, we like Jason. He's got a great personality. Like, that was me. But I was craving approval. And so I got out of that. I went into the young adult and workforce, and I finally got into an area of my life where I was like, I'll go into this because at least in this area, craving approval won't be a struggle. And that was ministry. <laughs> I remember being a youth pastor, and I was at my first uh, youth, uh, it was a church in Grand Prairie. It was my first youth group. I had a little youth group, and I went to a youth conference. And somebody asked, they said, um, we're at this conference with all these other youth pastors. And somebody said, how's your church doing? And I found out later that that's code for how many people you got. Because success is defined by size in the church world. And so um, what first got to answer goes, oh, we got, like a, we got like 100 kids come to our youth group. And I was like, dang. And the next guy goes, well, that's really good. Seems like you guys are doing a nice job. We got 150. 
And I was like, I got 20 kids. I'm not, I, like, I was like, what do I say? What do I say? And then I was like, in my brain, no, this, no I'm not joking. This was what's happening in my head. I was like, I'm going to say 30. I'm going to say 30. 30 just sounds better than 20. I don't want to lie, but I, I, I don't want I, I to have them think lo, like low of me. And so I'm going to do 30. And then like the Holy Spirit in my head said, Jason, are you willing to sell out your integrity? Are you willing to sell out your character for only 10 kids? And I went, heck no. So I told him I had 200. I was like, I was like, if I'm going to sell out my integrity, we're going big. I'm like, and we didn't reach churchy kids. We got gang members and drug dealers. We got kids y'all can't reach. Like, that's the kind of youth group we had. I was craving approval, so I pretended. And that's what we do. We lead in a world of pretending when we crave approval. And we see this all the time in certain things, like there's a Netflix uh, documentary series called Untold, where you can watch the real life stories behind people, and what you find is that the story we saw played out in the news, like there's a big one right now on Johnny Menzel, if you've watched it, and what you find out is there was a lot of pretending. If you've ever watched the TV show The Bachelor, it's a lie. All of it's a lie. That is not how you find love. I'm sorry to wreck somebody's life right now, but it's a lie. When you think, I'm going to find love, me, the one guy amongst these 25 ladies that are all here looking for love with, you know, with cameras watching like God intended, like that's a lie. Everybody's pretending to be something. And it's really, really easy for us to look and see that in other people's lives and we can say, you're pretending, you're craving approval. But the truth is, it's in this room. It's not just on television. How many of you have ever been on a first date and tried to hide your crazy? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever been in church and somebody walks up and says, how you doing? And then we love to give church answers. The, 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 the lesser churchy answer is fine. But the more churchy answer is like, well, blessed and highly favored. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I am just doing so good this morning, you have no idea. And we do all of it because we're afraid that if we're honest, we'll lose their approval. If you can ever get to a point in your life where you're not obsessed with yourself, you're not obsessed with other people's opinion, but instead you are obsessed with the idea that you want God to use your life for his glory and his name, you will find unbelievable freedom and a breakthrough in that moment. And that's what we're going to talk about today. See, craving approval, if you got your notes on the app or in your handout, you can fill this in. Craving approval leads to pretending to be someone or something that we are not. And can I tell you, it is a huge and primary obstacle for spiritual growth and transformation in your life. It is a major problem. If you're pretending, you're going to have a difficult time growing. And so Jesus is going to address this in the text that we're going to look at today. It is commonly known as a message Jesus gives called the seven woes. Now the word woe here is an onomatopoeia. It's a, it's a word that describes a sound like honk or meow or something like that. Um, and it's also a word that you use if you're trying to keep a horse from taking off or a kid from running into a street, you would yell whoa whoa stop and seven times in the chapter that we're going to look at jesus is going to use it but here's the part that's shocking is he's not using it he's not using it towards a bunch of corrupt ceos and shady politicians he's using it towards religious people people who should have known better and i want to give you a heads up as we look at this chapter this is not going to be the sweater vest wearing Ned Flanders Jesus Christ that so many people portray. This is going to look a lot more like William Wallace. 
It's going to be a Braveheart moment. He's going to raise some eyebrows and he's going to drop some jaws, and that's what he's trying to do. Because Jesus gets really bothered by something, and you know what it is? People who claim to represent him but could not be further from him and in the process mislead others trying to get to him. That upsets him. Let's look at Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 1. Then, okay, let's pause for a minute. I know you're like, Jason, it's just the word then. Like, what is there in that? It's very important that we understand the word then is connected to the previous 22 chapters of Matthew. In the previous 22 chapters of Matthew, you see Jesus performing miracles, healing people, forgiving people, showing people grace, and the religious leaders at every turn are criticizing and criticizing and criticizing. And for 22 chapters of, of the gospel, the, the Matthew writes, there is a tension, there is a storm brewing. There is this moment, like if this was a movie, there are certain things that you would hear in the soundtrack of a movie to tell you there's a problem. If you're watching Return of the Jedi, or any Star Wars movie, and you hear, da, 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 you know the bad guys are coming. Okay, if you're watching an old Western movie and you hear that, <laughs> like you hear that, you know, oh, there's a showdown. That's this moment. When he says, then, he's saying for 22 chapters, he has put up with this tension, but Jesus is fed up, and he's about to address them. It says, then Jesus spoke to the crowd and his disciples, verse 2, and the scribes and the Pharisees were seated in the chair of Moses. Just to give you some context, that was a stone seat that was set up in the synagogue. It was a place of honor and respect, but they had turned it into a place where if you got to sit there, you were seen as the top dog. It was a place where they were obsessed with other people's approval. Pharisee, the word Pharisee literally means to separate from others. They wanted to be seen as special and over other people. And so they would sit in a seat designed for honor and respect and use it as a place to dominate people. In verse 3, it says, Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. If you're the Pharisees, that's the one part of Jesus' message today that they're going, dang right. He just told y'all, whatever we say do, do it. Then he says, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Ouch. See, in other words, he's saying they look good on the outside, but it's smoke and mirrors. It's all plastic. It is all pretend. There is no difference in their lives. The word of God is not transforming them. It's an uncomfortable observation that he's making about them and potentially today about us. That they're being pretenders. That they're playing a role. That they're craving approval so desperately that they would play a part instead of receive true and real transformation. So they've put on a mask or a costume. When Caitlin, my oldest daughter, was real little, she was super into the TV show Hannah Montana. And I remember one day she asked me a question that I was not prepared for. She said, Daddy, is Hannah Montana real? I was not prepared theologically for that answer. I didn't know what to say to her. I said, well, baby... Uh, Miley Cyrus is real, Hannah Montana is the character that she plays, and she said, what? And I said, well, like, for example, when you go down into the playroom that we had at our house at that time, um, I said, we have all these costumes, and you can put on the costumes, and you can be Cinderella or Belle or a Ninja Turtle or whatever, and, and we pretend to be somebody else, and it's fun. And she was like, oh, yeah, I get that. Like, for example, we got Halloween coming up. We love to put on costumes. I looked up some costumes I thought were really cute. Just give you some ideas. Here's the first one real quick. Um, if we could throw that first image. Oh, there we go. I don't know why it's over there, but let's go with that one. So if you've got two little kids, 
Here's some old people that you can just throw. I mean, that'd be awesome. What about the next one? Okay, there we go. We got a little superhero. Uh, I love smelling. Pause here for a minute. Uh, get, get your head around what this is saying. I just want you to know. All right, let's look at the next one. Some of y'all know what this is. Some of y'all don't know what this is. Okay, I think we have one more. I love this one. This is a fast food mashup. You got Burger King, Wendy's, McDonald's, and KFC all in one family. Like, there's some ideas. Dressing up like that is fun. Here's the problem. Write this in your notes. When we go from playing pretend to being professional pretenders. There's a word for this in scripture. It's called hypocrite. And I want to tell you one of the most challenging things that I wrote in my sermon for this week that I want you to hear. A hypocrite for all of us is really easy to spot at a distance. It is way harder to spot it in the mirror. Today we use the word hypocrite as an accusation. You're a hypocrite. Or as an excuse. I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. So's Target. Stop going there. We use it as one of those. And the truth is, in the first century, this wasn't a bad word. Not originally. It was a word for Greek actors. Greek actors would play multiple parts in a production, so they would have various masks they would put on. So in one scene, they would put on one mask, and they would play this character. They would go off scene, and, and they would change masks, and they would put on a different mask, and they would come in, and they would act that way. But we take it, and we turn it into a negative connotation. He, Jesus is accusing them of being this. The idea that he's trying to convey to them and to us is this that we all have an audience. And we have to be careful who, audi who the audience is. When your audience is people, you want people to think that you're successful, that you've got it together, that you're the perfect parent with all the answers to the Hannah Montana questions of life. That you are happy, content, super spiritual. And so we have a reality that many of us have a bag of masks that we carry around everywhere we go and we change them out in different environments. The other thing he's trying to get at is this, is Jesus is offering a warning, a woe, where he says masks will eventually create distance between you and God and between you and others who need God. That's what pretending will do. I can't give you a name to this because it's very personal for me, but I have somebody in my life, and I'm sure you may have a similar story, um, who they, <clears throat> their, their, their first dad in their life divorced and moved on, the second dad in their life, um, we thought everything was going well. It was uh, father in their life that would take them to church, make sure they were there every week, and it was the father in their life that would say amen to the sermons and shake hands and welcome everybody and knew when to say the right words and do the right things and go to the prayer meetings and sing all the songs and know all the gestures and all those things, and he was also the same one at home that was sexually assaulting them, which created a really interesting dynamic when they're trying to think about who God is, and the same person trying to introduce them to God is the person who is violating them in a way that God would never want. And it did unbelievable damage to this day. Every single one of us have probably a story like that. And so we have to be careful. Jesus offers a warning. But the other thing, other idea he's trying to get at is this, is Jesus is telling them to take off the mask. To have their identity be revealed. And when your identity is revealed, you can experience the transformation you've actually always longed for. That's one of the reasons the region videos are very powerful. It's the reason that whole ministry is powerful because it's a whole ministry designed to take off all of this fake, all of these masks, and reveal who you actually are. And what's crazy is we've tried to protect ourselves from what everybody else will think by putting these masks on, and what we find out is that that is a lie from the enemy. When we finally take them off, we get the transformation we've longed for. 
when we are real, when we reveal what's there. It's why when you finally find some place that you can confess your sins to one another, you feel unburdened by it. You feel a freedom from it. Because you're no longer carrying the weight of the mask. You're experiencing the lightness of grace. And that's what Jesus is wanting for them. Now, I want us to understand that as we look at Matthew chapter 23, this is the last week of Jesus' life. And I would just say this. If it was the last week of my life, I'm going to teach on some things that are pretty important to me. And what Jesus is choosing to teach on right now is if they, if we, keep pretending more people are going to get hurt. And to really understand this, I think it's important that we understand the religious leaders that Jesus is talking to. You can write some of this down in your notes, but I don't want you to miss it. There's Sadducees and there's Pharisees. They're a part of a ruling body of, of religious leaders called the Sanhedrin. And here's the difference between the two. The Sadducees are incredibly kind of scripturally liberal. But in order to be a Sadducee, you had to be born a Sadducee. You were born into it. That was the reality. And then there's the Pharisees. They're kind of theologically and, and scripturally conservative is the way they would have seen themselves. But for them, you had to earn it. So you got two groups, born into it or earn it. And can I just tell you something that I think is very important for us to hear? The church pretenders that are in this church today, the church pretenders that are in most churches today still fall into these same two categories. You either think you were born into it or you can earn it. And that's what he's trying to get at us. He's trying to help us understand this. See, let me tell you a little bit more about the Sadducees, the guys that were born in. They were pretenders from birth. We've got those people in this room. I've seen these people in our parking lot. I've seen these people in our welcome area. I've seen these people on our stage. I've also seen this person in the mirror, personally, because this is my story. And we have to make a choice. Are we going to continue to wear the mask or are we going to remove it? See, do you think that you're a believer because you were born Catholic or Baptist or Assembly of God or because your parents or grandparents went to church, because you've always been in church or because you memorized a certain amount of scripture or you know all the Christianese language? That was my story. And Jesus would say to that person, if that's why you think you're saved, whoa, whoa. You're going through religious motions in order to save yourself, but there's no relationship with Jesus. He would say, whoa. You were baptized as a baby, but you never made a decision for yourself to follow God. He would say, whoa. You're attending church, but you're not serving or applying any of the truth to your life. Jesus would say, whoa. Or you're in it because you think it's a family tradition, or your spouse, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend is the one kind of giving you an ultimatum to show up here today. And I'm glad they did, but at some point, that's not enough to save you. Jesus would say, whoa. You have to make a decision and then there's the Pharisees. They're the ones that earn it. We got a lot of them in our church too. They started out incredibly on fire. Jesus got a hold of their life. They jumped into the Bible. They began to grow. They got into a group. And then at some point along the way, they shifted from I've received the grace of God to I've earned it and I'm better than the rest of you. And grace turns to legalism. Jesus isn't attacking their mind. He's not attacking their knowledge. He's attacking their heart. They know the law, but here's what he says in Matthew 15. It precedes this moment in 7 and 8. It says, hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their what, church? Heart is far from me. 
So they know all about me, but they don't really know me. Whoa. They're more concerned about personal preferences, song selection and styles and programs than they are spiritual growth. And he would say, whoa. They serve in order to be noticed and get applause. Whoa. They give, but they're not giving from joy or giving from their heart. And they would say, whoa. And I would tell you as a church, we would also say, whoa. If you do not enjoy giving to the Lord at Crossroads, stop. Because God is not after your money. He is after your heart. Make it something that brings joy into your life. That's what God wants for you. Jesus is going to go on and he says in verse 5, they do everything to be seen by who? Others. They're craving approval. Church, this is pre-social media, which means this is not a social media issue. This is a human problem. And I want you to write this in your notes. Craving approval is when I'm more concerned about managing my image than developing my character. See, character development and image management will always be at odds. If you're interested in in curating your image, you're going to always put on masks so that you look better than everybody might think that you, you know, better than you actually are. I want to look a certain way. I want to act a certain way. I'll spend money a certain way so that everybody thinks that I'm doing great, even though I may be in debilitating debt in my life. Whatever it is I have to do to create a false front, I want to make sure that the image is good, even though everything under the surface may be damaged. On the other hand, if you're interested in developing your character, you're not going to worry about your image. You're going to reveal all of your struggles, and you're going to invite Jesus in to begin the process of transformation. But you're not going to look good. You're going to look broken. You're also going to look saved, which is good news for us. We have to be careful. We live in a culture of image management. I don't know if you know this, but the Oxford uh, Dictionary every year does what's called like the, a word of the we- a year challenge. It's whatever word is most relevant in that year. In 2013, 10 years ago, the number one word that they celebrated was the word selfie. Selfie. I don't know if you know this, but every day in the U.S., 93 million selfies are taken. 93 million. Get your head around that for a minute. 93 million. Do you know that 379 people have died taking selfies? So much so that there are countries that have no selfie zones because there have been so many people that have been killed in them. We look at social media and social media, we, 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 we designed, it was designed originally by a lot of people who I think their heart truly was to create connections for so many people. But the reality is that when they beta tested this on humanity, it ended up leading to higher rates of depression, isolation, mental health issues, and low self-esteem, and ultimately higher rates of suicide. Which means this, don't miss this church, our desire to be seen by others, our craving approval is literally killing us. See, Jesus' problem with the Pharisees wasn't what they were doing, it was why. Like this morning, I'm up here, I'm teaching the Bible to you guys. It's a good thing, right? You would hope. The truth is, the problem for you is you don't know my motivation. I would love to tell you that every single time I've stepped on this stage, I've done it with the purest heart and the purest of motives. But the truth is, that would be a lie. It's not that I don't want to. I want to get up here and glorify God. I want to get up here and build the kingdom of God and be a part of his community. But I also really want you to like me. 
I want you to think I'm smart. I want you to laugh when I tell jokes because it makes me feel better about me. Can I tell you something about ministry that's really important because there's an awful lot of people who crave these moments. Here's what I've found in my life for many, many years of my ministry. This is the place that I most crave to be. And at this point in my life, I have recognized that this is the place that I am most uh, in awe of standing. Because I'm going to tell you something I've learned. Stages, lights, and streaming services are occupational hazards in ministry. There is no place that challenges my motivation more than standing in front of all of you. It'd be real easy to go the wrong direction, and there's been years in my life where I have probably wanted more of your approval than anything. I'm fortunate that God's worked in that in my life. Some of y'all may be sitting there going, I don't know, this guy doesn't seem fit to be a pastor. Fair point. <laughs> Can I tell you something? You're no better. We look at social media today, and if you're a social media poster, let's be honest, and I'm not, I'm not anti-social, I'm not anti-technology guy, I think there's an appropriate use and an inappropriate use. Can I get a good amen? Yeah, but here's the problem, is when you use it solely as your highlight reel, here's what I mean by that, you show a picture of your house, but what we don't see when you frame in that picture of your house is the 17 objects and all the trash you move to take that one perfect picture and the garbage bags that are sitting behind you, because you've carefully curated your image. That every picture of you and your spouse is you just hugging up on them. You've never taken the picture of you two arguing right before that or right after that because you took the shot wrong and then she wanted to see it and be like, don't post that one. Like you didn't get to see that part of the picture. Or every picture with your kids is you just playing with them and everybody goes, oh my gosh, they're such a good husband and such a good father. You look at my social media and you go, our pastor is amazing because we've curated images. Ladies, let me get on to you for a minute. Because there is a pose that women do in social media that I've talked about before. It is this pose. Okay? And then somebody has to take that picture 17 feet above you so that you don't see no double chin going on. Nobody's turkey neck saying out there. Like, you don't want that, so it's way up here, and you're like, mm, and smiling. And you got all this stuff in the right way so that, do you know why? You know why everybody does? So that I can gauge those muscles. So if I'm wearing shorts, this doesn't look like, blah, blah, it looks like, bam. And then you got, and you got this going on right here because a, a, flat, a flat arm is a fat arm, and you don't want to see that. You want to see this bad boy with the tricep engaged. That's why we do it. Because we're so worried about how somebody is going to see us. We're obsessed with looking good over being holy. And when that becomes our motive, we start pretending. And so Jesus is teaching on this, and then he's going to make an application. And this is my favorite part. It's the hardest part of preaching is to make an application to what you're trying to get at. And so Jesus is going to apply this to our lives. Here he goes. The rest of verse 5, he had just said, they do everything to be seen by others. Here's the next part. He goes, he go, listen, get ready, because this, this is a big one. He goes, they enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. Boom! My, some of y'all are ready to come to the altar right now. Just under, you're under conviction. You're like, oh, phylacteries and tassels. And you got me, Jason. That was exactly what I thought Jesus was going to speak into my life this morning. How many of you are going, what in the world is a phylactery? Okay, it's a, it's a weird thing. Let me explain, because this is way more powerful than we may think. See, in Deuteronomy, Jesus gives this, or God gives this command. He says, fix your hearts and your minds on God's word. Tie them to your hands 
bind them to your foreheads. Now what he's saying is, I want you to take the word of God, and I want the purpose of this is that you would hold God's word so closely that it would be on your hand or on your head. And what they literally did is they began to make these boxes called phylacteries. And as they would learn to memorize scripture, they would put them in the boxes and they would strap them to their hand or strap them to their forehead. And it became a competition really quickly because they didn't take them out. So the more you learned, the bigger the box had to get and the bigger the box had to get. And it became a way, it became a way to, to compare to one another, I'm more spiritual than you are because my box is bigger. I'm pretending. For them, it's literally a mask put over their face to try to gain the approval and attention of others. He says in verse 6, they love the place of honor at banquets, the front seat of the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called rabbi by people. In other words, what they want is a pecking order. That there's ways to determine that I am more spiritual than you, I am better than you, and what Jesus is saying is that none of us is better than anybody, all of us are in desperate need of the grace of God, and that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one's coming in better than anybody. You might look better than somebody who just came to Christ, but that's not because you're better, it's because you got to the hospital slash church before they did. And so you've had more time to heal. That's the only difference in you. And so what he's declaring is take off your masks because it's causing problems, it's causing pretending, it's causing damage. You can write this in your notes. Pretending will cause me to be more concerned with the applause of men than the approval of God. There are dangers to craving approval. I want to walk through some of these with you. I'm going to go fairly quickly. But the first one is this. It makes for bad decision making. That's a danger to craving approval. Why did I do that? Why did I lie? Why did I not confront those people? Because I want them to like me. That's why. It's so strong in us that we will do things that God would never want us to do because we crave the approval of people. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul is one writing here, and he says, am, uh, for, I am now, for am I now excuse me, trying to persuade people or God? Am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would, this is strong, I would not be a servant of Christ. If you're playing the people-pleasing game, you, will, you are struggling to serve the Lord. Is this a struggle for you? Let me give you a couple of things to think about. If it is, if you can't say no, then this might be a struggle for you. If you say yes to absolutely everything and then you get home to your house or your kids or your spouse and you sit there and go, why did I say yes again? And you're overcommitted and stretched, it could be a sign that you are craving approval. If you get easily embarrassed, there might be a hundred compliments given because of something God used you to do, but if there is one criticism, you begin to spiral. That is a sign that you're craving approval. If you're a person that tells little white lies, you're the person that exaggerates the truth You've got to have the right filter, the pose, the outfit, the lighting. Then you might be craving approval. If you're the person that gives in to peer pressure, like I can cuss with these people over here at my work or this group of friends from wherever they are, but when I get in this group of people, maybe they're my cadet group, i got to change my language because I, I don't want to say those kind of things around them. You're giving in to peer pressure. I mean, we'll lie to ourselves to make a bunch of excuses of what that actually is, but the truth is that you are being two different people and putting on different masks in different places. You are pretending and being a hypocrite. We struggle with it. If you're a person that says, man, uh, 
I do what I want, don't want to do even though I know God doesn't want me to do it. Like that's, that's that peer pressure. The second danger of craving approval is this. It leads to the comparison trap. In 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, we do not dare compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. How many of you guys remember a few years ago when the Popeyes came out with their new spicy chicken sandwich? Do y'all, I mean, do y'all remember how, how crazy that time was? People were like, this is the greatest chicken sandwich. Like, people were lined up down the road to get into Popeyes so much that Popeyes was running out of chicken. It's called Popeyes Chicken. And they were running out of chicken. Like, there was a YouTube video of one lady who drove up to a drive-thru of Popeyes, and it was, uh, she started yelling at the little box that you yell your order into. And what she did not realize was they were closed. But she's on YouTube yelling at this thing, and then eventually, this is what she yells. Y'all need to get a trailer of chickens out back. I don't know if that's FDA approved. I'm just going to be honest with you. And then people started saying this. This was, the, this was the statement that got me. It's better than the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich has got delicious herbs and spices on a buttery roll with two pickles. It requires nothing else in order to declare the glory of God as you eat it. And you dare to compare the Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich with that? Abomination. That is just an Abomination. And then somebody got me one. I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to say one won and one lost. I'm just saying it's a tie. Like it was real close. Now it is all fun and games when you want to compare a chicken sandwich. But it is a whole different thing when you compare your lives to someone on social media or celebrity, someone at your work, your school, or the airbrushed images that you will find on Instagram. See, comparison will kill contentment and it will send you craving approval in the wrong place every time. Then I want to say this. The other danger of craving approval is that we give people's opinions the wrong weight. I love how Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He is being compared to a bunch of people and finally Paul responds with this. He says, it is the Lord who judges me. In other words, in the middle of all the comparison, he says, I want you guys to understand something. One day I will die, and when I die, my life will be judged. And the person that will judge it is going to be my God, my Savior, and my Father. Other people may want to sit in judgment of my life, but they will not be the person that I stand in front of to give account at the end. I had somebody last week, and they, they talked to me about this, so I thought it was really cool, is that when we're a Christian, we have an upside-down judicial system. In our judicial system today, when something goes wrong, we appeal to the lowest court. And if things don't go our way, we appeal to a higher court. And if things don't go our way, we appeal to a higher court and ultimately to the Supreme Court. As a Christian and a believer in Jesus Christ, we appeal to the Supreme Court first. We throw our lives on the authority of Jesus Christ. That's where we start. And that's who we're looking at to evaluate our life. I'm not saying that other voices don't matter. There are godly people who will confront, teach, and challenge. The problem is, when, is the reality that in our culture, everyone has an opinion. If you're a Christian, you should vote for this person. If you're a Christian, how could you ever vote for that person? What did you think about the new worship song that, that the team did today? Somebody's going, I hate it. Somebody else is going, oh my gosh, it drove me to tears. Whose words get the most weight? In the challenges and decisions of your life, whose words get the most weight? Let me, let me demonstrate this for you. See, this is the way this looks in our life. Over here, we have God. And over here, 
On my right, we have other people. And here's what we do. We sit here and go, man, I want to give God and godly people some weight in this decision of my life. And we go, okay, so this is good. When I do that, everything is going well. This one outweighs this one. Oh, my gosh, I'm about to lose my marbles. Um, uh. All right, so I'm going to hold this bag from now on. That was an interesting sentence. I hope that gets tweeted later. All right, so, so we go, okay, this one outweighs this one. But my mom, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my dad all have an opinion. My spouse has an opinion. Or a few. My kids want to weigh in on it. Everybody else wants to weigh in on it. Social media wants to weigh in on it. I put it on Facebook, and my Facebook friends started to comment and comment and comment and comment and comment and comment and comment. And then you get absolute strangers that want to weigh in on it. And it goes like this, and you sit there and go, Oh my goodness, if I'm not careful... Their opinions start to outweigh these. But here's what we have to do. We have to permanently tip the scales. God is not the same size marble, church. We are going to permanently tip the scales in his favor. His word, his will, and his way will always get the greater weight in my life. It doesn't matter how many you put over here. And that's the challenge that we are facing, and that's the thing that we have to be careful of, is that we are giving the proper amount of weight to people's opinions. You need to know God's word so that you will know what God's word is for every situation in your life. And it is freeing in your life when God outweighs the approval of others. And I just want to end by by talking about this. Why is this a big deal? Here's, Here's why. Because God's going to ask you to do something. God's going to ask you to believe something and it's not going to be popular. It's going to go against everything in our culture. And when you do, when you believe it, when you stand on it, you're going to get mocked, you're going to get criticized, and you're going to get made fun of. People are going to leave you out. And when that happens, you have to have the courage to stand up anyway. You don't want to be a person that's doing things in secret. You want to be known to stand on the word and the truth of God. My mom loved figure skating. So when I was a kid, we were taught about figure skating. I did not, however, tell my friends that I was super into figure skating. Instead, when the Olympics would come on, we would go to school and everybody would mock figure skating. And I remember a time in high school where this moment happened and I had to hid all of my knowledge of figure skating, and then somebody made a comment about doing an axle or a sow cow, and I lost control of everything that inhibited me, and I said, that is ridiculous. An axle is taken off from the back leading edge of your skate, and it lands on the front leading edge of your skate with a one and a half rotation in the air, and a sow cow is leading from the front edge of your skate and landing on the back with only a half rotation, and my friends went, what? And they found out in a moment that I had been a secret figure skating fan my entire life. Here is the thing that I want you to hear. Too many of us are secret followers of Jesus Christ. Because we want the approval of other people. That's why this is a big deal. It's a big deal because if we put on the mask, if we pretend, if we crave approval, we won't stand for the truth. And the truth transforms everything. Maybe you're in a place today where you need a breakthrough. And so I want to challenge you with some questions. 
I, wanna, I, want, you, I want you to think about this for a minute because we live in a world where everybody's looking for the answers in the wrong place and we have the answer and the answer, answer is Jesus. And can I tell you something, church? People are not less spiritual today. They're not less spiritual. People are leaving churches, but they're not leaving churches because they're less spiritual. I believe they're leaving churches because they're not seeing transformation. And they're not seeing transformation because we hide it from them. See, putting on your mask doesn't just hide your flaws, it hides your testimony. It hides the very thing that God has done. It hides the truth of the gospel. I didn't ask his, I didn't ask his, his uh, like, uh, uh, willingness to share this. I'm a little lost in words, but I'm going to pick on Michael for a minute. Hi, Michael. How you doing, buddy? Um, he really loves attention, so everybody look at him real quick. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I have to say that yesterday I was, at, I was at a party for Michael. It wasn't his birthday party. It was, it was one year of sobriety. Yeah. <laughs> And here's what I love about it, is it's one of the very first things that he told me when we met months ago. And then I got invited to a party where a whole bunch of people were there, where they were celebrating with balloons that said, one year sober. And you know what that was? It was not him magnifying the defeat of his life, it was him magnifying the power of the gospel in his life. If we pull off our masks, people will run to Jesus. Because what they're longing for is to see the transformation from the brokenness that we're hiding from them when we're pretending. Craving approval is not only adding weight to your life, it is wrecking the mission and the message of the gospel in it. Reveal what God has done in your life. Okay, sorry, I have to get to these questions. Okay, first of all, if you're going, man, Jason, what's something I can do? Um, to kind of pull this off. I want to give you the first one, and this is not going to have accurate spelling. Uh, go do something Jesus-y and don't tell anybody. Go, go do something Jesus-y and don't tell anybody. Don't do it for social media. Don't post it anywhere. Don't look for applause. With only God as, their, as the audience, find somebody and bless their socks off. The second thing, if you're a lost person in this room today, here's what I want you to know. You can drop the mask and admit it. You can come clean. That's what we're here for. And the third thing I want you to hear, if you're a believer and you've been living in this, you can drop the mask and you can confess. You can confess, God, I, I, I apologize. God, I confess that I've been putting on a mask. I've been pretending and I'm done pretending. I want the world to see what you've changed me from. I'm going to be honest. And when you do that, man, you're going to be on mission like never before. And I hope that all of us, there's, there's this passage in the book of, uh, a book of Jude. I know you guys are probably big avid readers of Jude. Um, and it says that we're going to snatch others from the fire. Like how cool would it be when you go and stand before God, when you stand before that judge, and, and you walk up and you go, uh, I, I, my life's over, I'm here. Jesus, I'm here. And he goes, Jason, you smell a little bit like smoke. And that's exactly how I want my kids to show up here. Because you were busy with your life helping snatch people from the fire. And so I would just tell you to drop your mask and instead raise your arms. Jesus kind of ends this section in Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12. It says, the greatest among you will be a servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is both a promise and an invitation. Here's the invitation. The mask that you're wearing, they're not held on by string. They're welded on. And the only person who can take them off 
is Jesus Christ. That happens through confession and repentance, and the only way is Jesus. But the other thing I want you to hear is a lot of us think that when we finally take everything off and we confess to God and we confess to others, oh my goodness, what will God think of me? I picture it like this. When my kids were little bitty, when my foster kids are little bitty, and they're struggling with something, maybe they hurt themselves, maybe they made a mistake, maybe they struggle. You know what posture they constantly found themselves in when they would run to mom and dad? And you know what a good mom and dad do? They pick that child up. And they say, I'm here for you. Dad's going to make it all better. I love you. When we take our mask off, we run to a loving father who scoops us up and tells us how much he loves us. Let's pray. God, I know today there are so many in this room that need a breakthrough. And God, I pray that you would use this message today to do it. The reality of this message is that it should hit really hard in a lot of lives. It hit hard in mine. The truth is, in this room, there are people whose marriages are falling apart and they've not told anybody. There are people whose addictions are controlling their life and they've not shared it with a soul. There are people in this room that they're going through struggles that they've never revealed to anybody because they're craving approval instead of craving hope and salvation. They are craving the applause of men over the approval of God. And God, I pray that right now there would be an overwhelming uh, confession in the hearts of our church that we would say, God, there's something I've been hiding from you and I need to talk to you about it. And I may need to talk to somebody else too. I'm gonna ask for this, church, nobody looking around, please, not even our worship team, just close your eyes, bow your heads for a minute. If you're in this, I'm not gonna ask you to come forward, I'm not gonna ask you to do anything like that, I'm just gonna ask you for a brief moment of the easiest type of confession you can do, and that's this. I'm just gonna say, is there anything in your life, is there anything in your life that you've been reluctant to be honest with God about and here's what I mean, I, even partial honesty is dishonesty. What I mean is, have you not been real to God? And maybe you need to confess it to somebody else. Is there anything that you're hiding? And if that's you, I'm not going to ask what it is. Nobody's going to ask you about it. I'm just going to, I just want to pray for us. And so if that's you, would you just raise your hand all over the place and just be honest about that today? Thank you so much. Lots of hands going up. Let's pray for all of them. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the guts and the honesty of the people that just raised their hands. I know there are many more struggling. And God, we pray that you would give them the courage to come clean with you and to find somebody that can be trusted to talk to and get help. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.